Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. I am Dr. Brady Brewer, and I am an assistant professor here in the Department of Agricultural Economics uh, in West Lafayette. And joining me today are members of Purdue's farm transition team. Uh, we have Jenna Meese, Denise Schroeder, and Kyle Weaver. And today's podcast, we're going to focus uh, on another farm transition topic. So just as a, as a reminder, we are doing a monthly series uh, over farm transition planning. We've already done three, so please check out the description below for the links to those uh, farm transition uh, podcast episodes. But today we're going to be focusing on the human resource side of succession planning as it plays a big role in the overall uh, transitioning of farm management. Uh, so with that, Denise, Jenna, and Kyle, welcome. If you guys want to introduce yourselves to the listeners. So I'm Kyle Weaver. I'm the County Extension Director and Extension Educator for Agriculture and Natural Resources and 4-H Youth Development here in Switzerland County. And I'm Denise Schroeder. I'm the Health and Human Sciences Educator in White County. And in addition to that, as a member of the Farm Succession Team, um, and I'm also um, a farm wife and manage the books for our farm. So you, uh, this is probably something that hits pretty close to home in terms of topic. Ooh, yes, relatively so. And hi, I'm Jenna Neese. I am the Ag and Natural Resources Educator in Putnam County, so Greencastle, Indiana. And I also work for the Putnam County Soil and Water Conservation District as our Adult Education Coordinator. Well, we welcome you three. And as I said, uh, today's topic, we're going to be focused on the human resource side of succession planning. And I will, you know, first just lend my view. When I think of succession planning, uh, you know, I typically think of some of the more legal aspects, right? Uh, how do you structure the business, LLC versus corporation? But there's a lot of soft aspects to that, too, in terms of managing the family members, managing the, the workers within a uh, farm business. So I, I guess my first question is, why is this topic important for when, when you think of the overall umbrella of farm transition planning? Well, I think, in, in my opinion, I think the, the, the most important part is it sets, it sets expectations for uh, the farming operation. What do you expect of your employees? Uh, what do your employees expect of you? Uh, you know, what are some of the guidelines that your farming is going to go by? Uh, I think that's a good place to start. In, in addition to employees, you also think of um, family members who work along with along beside you, too. And what are those roles? You know, not necessarily does the senior person have to be the manager all the time. Sometimes um, with job descriptions or with natural abilities, someone in the junior generation is the one that ends up being the manager. And kind of going off of what Denise said, um, one of the big things is you're dealing with family and you're also dealing with the business and you want to make sure you're keeping them separated because you don't want the business side of things to ruin your family life because you want to make sure your family stays together and has harmony and, you know, can see it to the end and be able to sit around and talk. Yeah. And I, I, I suspect, and again, I'm not the, uh, I will be fully transparent with the listeners. I am not a, an expert in, in this topic at all, but I, I suspect that's a pretty large part there is keeping the balance between the farm business aspect of, of the working uh, business and in the family aspect as well. Yeah, keeping that balance is really difficult um, because we want to make sure that when we're going through transitioning that um, you have things set up so that you don't bring the farm 
to the dinner table every night or to every holiday. And then you don't have that separation because that can cause a lot of problems. So having the job descriptions really helps. So I, I guess my first, you know, question thinking about that, uh, you guys probably see this a lot, uh, but are farms good at this, keeping this separate between the, the family side and, and the job description side? One of the things we always say is, is where are most decisions made in the farm? And that's usually at the dinner table. And we're trying to encourage uh, producers not to make those decisions at the to make somewhere else. That way the, the dinner table is uh, for family holidays and family celebrations and family dinners. So we encourage them not to do that at the dinner table if they can help it. I think kind of to go with what Kyle said, um, we wish they were better. And some do this um, very well. But what we see a lot of times is it's not done that way. And then there is that confusion and frustration that builds within a family. Yeah, and uh, that's just human nature, right? I mean, it, whenever you're you're working with family and, and working on a business that you own, it, it, sometimes it's just hard. You know, this isn't an easy task to do. It's a hard task to separate and make a, a, a line of distinction between the business and, and family affairs. And because it is hard, that's why we encourage them to start to develop, if they don't already have, to start to develop job descriptions so that we know who's responsible for what. Um, and I'll one of the first steps they can take is to work on their communication skills because if they can't communicate, then they can't build a job description because they need to talk about, you know, what, what's um, the son good at? What's the father good at? What's grandpa good at? Whatever the case may be, because if you don't know what their skills are and if they can't talk about those things, it's hard to come up with those job descriptions and expectations not even just talking about what are they good at, but also what are they interested in? Because maybe they're really good at the mechanic side of the thing, but in all actuality, they are tired of working with mechanics. They want to be with the livestock side. So uh, Denise, uh, mm-hmm. you, can, you keep mentioning these job descriptions. So let's first define what, what we mean by a job description or a job role. And, and then um, if you guys would touch on what are the different ways to do job descriptions? Um, Well, when we think about setting up a job description, we want to set it up so that it sets expectations. It's a guide for hiring and firing, unfortunately, and it provides a basis for um, evaluation. And it also is a guide for promotion and compensation. If it's just kind of out there willy nilly, it's hard to say, oh, you know, unless someone does something really major, although I know it's much easier to let someone go in an individual operation than it is like, for example, we all work for Purdue University. it's still difficult unless it's something major that they did. Whereas if you've got a job description that sets those guidelines and those expectations, then, you know, they've got an idea what they're supposed to be doing and, you know, what they need to achieve to um, either maintain their job or achieve a promotion or achieve a raise. So to follow up on that, you know, when you think about job descriptions, you think about just doing it, having a good understanding of what the position and what those position details will include. Um, so it's important for you as an employer to be able to, to relate to your employee. What are your expectations? Uh, what duties do you have? And be able to put that into a written document where they can actually see it and ask questions and uh, learn from. And I would assume, Kyle, that this makes it a little bit easier on the hiring and firing side. If, if you have those expectations out there, it's, it's a little bit easier to document if expectations aren't being met. 
Yes, absolutely, because it's it's written documentation that you can use just if you were working, uh, you know, in a career prof- profession somewhere else. So now you you also mentioned the promotion side and compensation. Uh, this is just one I with Denise when you said it, I I immediately thought, oh my gosh, how do you give a family member a promotion or or keep them from a promotion? How do job descriptions help in that, especially when it's a family member? Oh. Um. Anybody else want to jump in here too? Um, my thought is, is if you've got that job written out and these are what the expectations are for this job, it makes it a whole lot easier. And as I think of like our personal operation and stuff with the job descriptions and stuff, it's like, okay, this person is doing a really good job. They're, you know, they're doing the things we've hired them to do and they're going above and beyond. You know, and when it's a family member, a lot of times you have to take that part of it out and look at it just from the worker standpoint and the management standpoint. Are they doing a good job? Or are they not doing a good job, whether they're related to you or not? And one thing I think about is um, when you're creating the job description, you have to think about um, connotations. So it could be something like they're a herd manager and they're just working around with the animals, or it could be a herdsman. And they've got different connotations or in an office setting, the secretary versus the office manager, you would think that if you're giving them a promotion, the office manager would be the higher up one. And so the titles could change over time, depending on what promotion they receive and what role they're taking on with the operation. So what is the easiest way? I'm a farmer or uh, let's say a set of uh, a family owned business, uh, you know, so we're the management team and we want to implement job descriptions. What resources are out there? Where would you advise someone go look to to either a think about downloading a template or or look for what uh, resources that they need to to be able to do this? So a great way to do that would be to contact anyone with the uh, succession planning team. Uh, we do have lots of resources for those individuals. Uh, you know, it, it starts with a skill analysis and what are the skill sets and how can we make those skill sets work for our farm and. And we start doing those job descriptions for what the skill sets are required and how we can make those work to make our operation efficient. Uh, so, Kyle, you do mention the, the farm succession planning team. And what is the website that they can go to for that? Uh, Jenna, do you happen to have that uh, handy? Um, I actually don't have it handy with me, but um, I do know that if they um, do a Google search for the Purdue Institute for Family Business, um, so PIF, um, that will get you there because uh, we're highly connected with them and everything. Or if you search the Purdue Succession Planning Team, that should also get you there. Yeah, and, and the Purdue Institute for Family Business, their website is purdue.edu slash agecon slash fambiz. Um, and as Kyle said, there's a, uh, a wealth of knowledge there that this team has accumulated that people can use to, to make these job descriptions. So we've touched on this next question that I have a little bit, but where can this go wrong? What what are the roadblocks that keep people from either A, doing job descriptions right, or maybe not doing them at all? Well, it's, it's the boundaries, I think, that are important. It's, it's generational boundaries because, uh, you know, grandpa or the father has never done the farming operation the way the son does. And if they don't understand the way the son operates and the way the son farms, uh, there's going to be an issue with doing those job descriptions because they don't understand technology, maybe, and they don't understand uh, the particular skill set that that son brings. So there can be a boundary uh, just in that particular situation. And another issue is that you may have the job descriptions right now that are accurate, 
but they may not be accurate five years down the road as the family gets into the transition process or as more skills are developed by the younger generation. And so you have to always constantly be revising them. So some instances we find farms that have them, but they're not accurate for what they currently are facing. So is this a, I think that's a key point, Jenna. Uh, is this a yearly process or is by, is every other year? How, how often do they need to be looked at and updated? They probably need to be um, looked at and updated as things progress, especially if you're going to bring anyone new into the operation or um, if you're trying to expand. But if you're not doing any big changes, then at least probably annually, just kind of put it on your radar to review them and see if things are um, still valid. Yeah, because much like Jenna said, you know, just because somebody's good at something doesn't mean that's necessarily where they work. Well, maybe they transitioned into an area that they really enjoy doing. And so their job description may not fit them currently. And they're doing a stellar job at what they're doing now, but their job description doesn't even touch on it. Another issue that we've seen is the fact that um, if they don't have the job descriptions, then the problem is the individuals don't know who to report to. So the chain of commands broken down because there's confusion over, do I report to this boss or do I report to that one? Um, so how, having the job descriptions helps clear up the chain of command for some individuals. Yeah, it just provides formality to the, to the process <laughs> and clarity to the worker. What about, let's flip this real quick. Let's go from the worker standpoint. So let's say you're a farm worker and uh, your farm manager is thinking about, you don't have job descriptions uh, and they're thinking about doing them. So you bring up, Denise, I think you bring up a good point that maybe you're not doing what the job description says or or your skill set or your uh, what you want to do is different. Uh, if I'm a farm worker, what do I need to be, how do I approach this? Or what objections do I need to bring to the farm manager when when you're going through this process? I think as a worker, um, Kyle talked about um, a SWOT analysis. I think as a worker, you need to be a part of that when you develop those job descriptions, say, this is what I'm doing currently. You know, how does this play into this job description? Um, How do we develop it so it really covers the things that I'm already doing or the things that I think um, I need to be doing to grow this position? Yeah, and I would expect what you just said, Denise, also helps the farm manager, right? Because that feedback can help them better tailor to what you want. Mm -hmm. It's really about communication. Yeah, it's a two-way street, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure that the farm managers out there would love to know uh, what their employees think of their job duties. Uh, And maybe this is a a document is just a way to uh, start that conversation. And we hope that they're having these regular farm meetings. And so this could just be an agenda item maybe once a month or periodically to be looking back on it because we don't want to make sure that they're doing this every single time because that may seem overwhelming, but at least look at it at some point during one of their family business meetings. Absolutely. I agree. So thinking about these job descriptions, uh, what about the compensation piece? Let's circle back around to here. Do the job descriptions need to have the compensation spelled out or maybe bonus structure spelled out in them? Or is that something that can be left to, to um, for another day? Well, I think what's important is that you you do have that a job description and that's explained to the worker, you know, on, on the day they start. You know, how am I going to get promoted? What's my compensation going to look like? If I work 60 hours a week versus 40, what does that compensation look like? So, uh, you know, that ought to be something from day one that the the employee understands and they've seen it and they reviewed it and they've signed off on it and they understand it. Yeah, and um, 
uh, I guess this is somewhere where I actually do have a little bit of experience in, and this is something that farms uh, typically don't do as well um, either, and that is that compensation structure. You know, most businesses that you go into uh, from day one, it's fairly apparent what it takes to get promoted and, and either timeline or objectives or duties that you would need to take on. Uh, here at Purdue, we actually just adopted it last year. We have a pretty set, rigid uh, promotion structure uh, for our faculty and staff. And that's something that typically doesn't happen at farms. And, and a lot of times I would say farm workers leave because they don't think there's uh, room for advancement. I'd say very much so. And so I think that, you know, putting that in there and with an annual review, then that allows that to be updated from year to year if there's if there are races or if there are bonuses and, um, you know, how how those are going to happen. You know, I think of, um, you know, an operations around where I live, there are several um, manure application businesses. You know, employees are paid are paid their hourly rate, but then they may get a bonus for the number of gallons that they are that are applied over the course of the season when they're applying manure, things like that. So that need things like that need to be spelled out in their job description so that they know exactly what those things are. Yeah, and and from my perspective, I think not only does it allow the worker to see what those things are, but it also gives some of the why behind some of the duties that they're given. Right. Um, just, you know, I grew up on a farm. I realized, and just because you mentioned the manure spreading, Denise, uh, not every job on a farm is necessarily what I would call desirable. Uh, you know, <laughs> manure spreading may be one of those jobs. Uh, maybe there's someone out there that, that really enjoys that. But it, it also gives the worker a sense of, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is how I fit into the farm's overall mission. Uh, you know, if I don't do it, uh, you know, if I don't complete my task, this doesn't get done and, and you know, it's essential for the farm. So in some ways, it's a way for the farm owner to tell the worker um, or, you know, to uh, communicate, as Kyle said, the important vital communication, why it's needed as well. And, and that gets buy-in. Mm-hmm. And develops a, it develops a culture, yeah. uh, you know, a culture of, uh, you know, what you want, you want your operation to look like and to feel like and to you get that worker buy-in that way. So last question I have, and this goes back to one of the earlier comments, Um, Kyle, you mentioned, you know, you don't want to ever do uh, this type of business around the dinner table or or Thanksgiving table per se. Uh, So let's say you are a farm business that has a lot of of families or family members that are workers. When is an appropriate time to to broach this subject, to, to get together as an ownership team or a family team? And say we need to to divide up the the farm tasks. I think an easy way to do that is to schedule that during the work day. So you know, on the first Tuesday of the month, from noon to two p.m., you have a family meeting. You have the business meeting. Uh, so scheduling those as part of your normal everyday activities is is a really good way to do that. And you would advise. So you mentioned every Tuesday. You would advise keeping that schedule if it's productive. Uh, you know, on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think it has to fit the farm. You know, if you're on a dairy farm, you know, that might be a good time, but you certainly wouldn't be able to do that on a dairy farm at 8 a.m., but whatever fits the operation. Yeah, and I would say, you know, make sure that the business meeting fits the operation and the family involved because, you know, we always talk about, you know, don't sit down to Thanksgiving dinner and talk about how we're going to fix the farm and everything. But I personally know a family that 
every year on New Year's Eve, or no, not New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, they have a family meeting and they talk about what the plan for the coming year is. And that's just part of what their operation does. And it works well for them. You know, on a personal note, it would not work well for our operation on that day. Yeah, so I, not at home. <laughs> Denise, I think that's a, a great point is that this is not a one size fits all solution. But thinking about the one size fits all, what about conflicts? How, so part of this is so we can have that better communication, but we also know that when you formalize communication, you're, you're going to have some conflicts in there as well. How does the, this human resource aspect work when, when you have uh, conflicts either between family members or just employees? Well, you can certainly do a, a strong outside mediator. Someone, maybe that's a family friend, maybe that's an agriculture professional, maybe it's a professional in, in the work of mediation, but someone that can come in and, and see the situation neutrally and be able to assist the family. Yeah, it's sometimes outside resources, um, you know, farms typically try to keep everything in house, but, you know, a lot of companies outsource different functions of the business. And, and the same is true for farms. Uh, an outside mediator uh, may help even at the beginning of this process, right, Kyle? Like forming those uh, job descriptions, maybe there's several family members or several employees that want to do the same thing. Having a mediator to walk, uh, you know, walk you through that process to avoid the conflict in the first place may be, may be something that you want to think about. Or as Denise said, maybe you just want to schedule this meeting on, on New Year's Day and, and get it over with on the first of every year. So um, that's all the questions I have. Uh, is there anything else that you guys would um, want to partake on the, the listener here uh, before we sign off? I think probably one of the key points that is good to make is that um, this is all about communication, setting the boundaries and developing something that will help the farm move forward and help ease the whole process. And this is just one little tiny um, item in the whole broad scheme of transition planning. Um, but it is an important item that sometimes gets overlooked because it actually doesn't necessarily involve around the dollar or the land or equipment. And usually that's what everyone jumps to when it comes to transitioning the operation. No, and and Jenna, I, I would say in my experience, probably this issue is what becomes a holdup with other issues, right? The land wasn't an issue until we got into a conflict because of duties or uh, what the job, what what the roles were on the farm. Yes, this can easily be a hidden problem that they end up having to face at some point that they thought didn't even exist or wasn't there maybe with one generation, but when the operation expanded, the problem developed. And along the same lines, as we're transitioning, if the older generation is the one who's always made all the decisions there, we can use job descriptions to hopefully start moving things along to transition it to the next generation and hopefully lessen some of those conflicts if there's a plan put in place as to how it's going to transition. Yeah, that that is the, the goal here, right? And we know we're not going to eliminate all, but if you can eliminate some of them, help and help resolve some of them more uh, in a more timely manner, it's going to be better for the, the profitability of the business because you're going to be able to get, get down to business quicker. 
So with that, um, I just want to remind everyone for more economic information, please visit us at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's website at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. Or for the, uh, the information on the farm succession team and the materials we talked about today, uh, please visit the website for the Purdue Institute for Family Business. Uh, and that website is purdue.edu slash agecon slash fambiz, and that is F-A-M-B-I-Z, fambiz. Uh, on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, the Purdue Institute for Family Business, I am Brady Burr, and we thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.